Welcome to the Encounter Community Church Podcast, where we take God's Word and look at how we can utilize, practically apply it, and implement it into our lives. Welcome back to the Encounter Community Church Podcast. My name is Ken Ballard Jr. I am the pastor here at Encounter Community Church, and I hope that you are doing well. Uh, I'm excited about our church and what's going to be coming up because in two weeks, we're going to be starting having outdoor services again in our parking lot. I'm excited about that. And I, I think I'm excited for a couple reasons. It, it just means hopefully that the heat wave of September is done <laughs> because anyone that knows me pretty much knows I don't necessarily need a tan. <laughs> so I'm hoping that that would be the case as well as it shows that the COVID numbers in California are doing better, and that's what I based it on. So hopefully we'll continue to improve and move in a better direction. And again, if you want to join us, again, it's going to be October the 11th at 10.30 a.m. I'd love to have you come on out to our service. And if not, we will continue to make our services available on live stream because we know that there are some people who are out there who are not ready yet to start to gather. There are also people who are out there who live with relatives who are elderly and don't want to take a chance of putting them at risk, which I totally understand. So we'll also continue to make our services available on Facebook as well as on YouTube and you'll be able to watch them there. But I am, I'm, I'm excited about that. I'm also excited because tonight is the very first presidential debate. Looking forward to that. And, and I'll tell you, here's what I would love to see happen in the debate is I would just love to walk away with hope. One of the things that I've seen so much, I guess, over the course of the last few weeks or so is just fear. Everything is kind of driven by fear. Uh, and on that, that's on both sides of the coin. Biden is afraid that it, what will happen to our country if we get four more years of Trump. And Trump, of course, is talking about fear about what happens if Biden is in office. So I'm hoping that tonight that maybe we'll be able to move beyond the negativity and move beyond the fear and just have a good old knockdown, drag out debate with what are the plans for the coronavirus? And us being able to navigate that as a country to be able to come out on the other side of it, especially now that we see that some countries in Europe are starting to hit a second wave. And the first wave for us was bad enough. <laughs> I don't want to see a second wave. But if that is something that is a possibility here in America, following the pattern of what we see in Europe, then What's our plan for that if there were a second wave? How can we make sure that we lessen the economic impact of a second wave of COVID? How do we continue to move forward in healing as a nation and beginning to just, I guess, get back to life as normal as it can be? I, I want to see their host for that. I want to see their host for our economy. What are we, what are we doing? You know, with that, how, how are we doing to continue to come out on the other side and looking at the future of what America will be? And also specifically for me, I, I do want to know what are their plans when it comes down to racial equality? That's important to me. You know, I look at what happened with Breonna Taylor and 
I'm not sure what side that you fall on with when it comes to what the grand jury of Louisville or Kentucky decided to do and not charging any of the officers when it came to her death. I'll tell you, to be honest, I was shocked. An African-American or as a black man, my concern was for equality and for my own personal protection. Like, could I be the next Breonna Taylor or the next George Floyd? And if that were to happen, would the officers who are responsible for what would happen to me, would they be held accountable? It's a legitimate fear. It really is a legitimate fear. What are we going to do moving forward? And like I said, I don't know what side you fall on with what the jury decided. I'm not sure what side you fall on with that. And it's not my place to judge you either way. But but I will say this, that I do feel like something has to be done. It really does. And we would all agree that I think that there needs to be prayer for our nation, prayer for healing. And I think most of us would agree that there does need to be something done about racial equality. And there also needs to be something done about bad police officers. Because I want to make it really clear, I'm not saying all police officers are bad. Uh, That would be equivalent to saying all black people are bad or all Latino people are bad or all Asians are bad or even all white people are bad. Generalizations are never, ever, ever, ever good at all. They're not. But something has to be done about the officers that are bad, officers that continue to have constant complaints against them. Something has to be done. Some kind of form of accountability has to be established. So I'm curious to see what they would have to say about that moving forward. And like I said before, I would also love to see if there is discussion about this political divide that we see growing in our nation. I mean, it it is so clear that there is this divisive element that's happening here, so clear. So I would also love to hear for both candidates, like what are you willing to do to begin to bring America together, to bring about healing emotionally, politically, mentally in our nation as well. I will also say this, that and, and you've heard me say this over the course of this series because we are in the middle of a series called Politics and Religion. And if you're listening for the first time, just want to quickly remind you that the goal of this series is not to convince you to choose a certain candidate or choose a certain party or believe a certain way about issues. The goal of this series really is just about we've got to do politics better. We've got to. Because the thing that really is fueling the division in America is politics it really is and the stances that people take on their politics so we've got to do it better so that's what we are looking at in this series but with this in mind i just wanted us to begin to just think about just what can we do to bridge this because as i've said over the course of this series ultimately God never intended for government to be the answer. And I think the truth is we can't necessarily rely on government to bridge this gap. This has to be a grassroots thing. It has to start with you and it has to start with me. 
that we are willing to sit down, build relationships, connect with people, talk about life, not get engaged in Facebook arguments. Like, like we've got to be willing to sit back and, and, and begin to just have bridging conversations. Even if at the end of the conversation, we agree to disagree, which is totally fine. But again, my heart is that we can walk away agreeing to disagree, but still look at one another as you're my brother or you're my sister. That we can at least start to heal some of this. And speaking of healing, I just want to let you know that we've decided on our next series. Our next series is going to be called The Grudge. The Grudge. And it was really fueled out of this, that over the course of this series that we've been doing on politics and religion, I'm sure that there are going to be people who have said or will say something that is going to seriously tee you off. <laughs> they will. Or maybe what it might do is further drive a wedge in the relationship that you already have existing. So the question is, how do we get over that pain? How do we get over those grudges? How do we get over something? Because especially if it's someone that's a family member or someone that's a friend, uh, someone that's a coworker that you're going to see on a regular basis, how do you get over the anger that you feel so that you can continue to be able to interact with that person or be able to love that person or encourage that person? How do we do that? So that's what we're going to look at with the grudge. And the whole idea of the grudge is being able to let grudges go. But with this in mind, when it comes to politics and religion, I guess the question that we have to ask is, why do we take the stances that some of us take? I heard something that I thought was really, really powerful and I thought was really interesting. And that kind of leads into what we're talking about today is it simply said this, that the Ten Commandments were written not with the total heart of controlling human beings and their choices. But that part of the goal of the Ten Commandments was to communicate to the people of Israel that you are part of a bigger picture. That life isn't just you. And it's really interesting when you look at it that, from that perspective because the first four commandments are all about how we interact in our relationship with God. And it is true that if we interact a certain way in our relationship with God, growing closer in our intimacy with Him and our connection with Him, making Him first priority in our lives, growing our love for Him, then what it does is it affects our love for others. And that's what the second six commandments have to do with, is our interaction with other people. That again, life is just bigger than you. And I don't know about you, but, but I will say for me, it is very easy for me sometimes to look at life from an egocentric perspective. And over the course of this series, one of the things that we have communicated is how easy it is for us, not just me, but I'll be real, I can, but not just me, but for all of us, it's so easy for us to be able to look at life from an egocentric perspective. That's why I love what it says in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. It says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, 
if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and, one, and of one mind. That's why we spend two weeks talking about unity because it's so important for us to be able to do this, especially if we're going to bridge this gap. But, but it goes on to say this. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Simply put, don't be egocentric. Don't be egocentric. Don't just look out for you. And I know, I know that we hear messages like, well, if you don't take care of yourself, no one else will. I, I want to make this really clear. I am, I'm not saying that we should be codependent people. I'm, I'm not advocating that at all. But what I am advocating is a need for us to look beyond ourselves because it's not until we do that we'll be able to bridge this political gap that we see existing in America. It says, rather in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Really what this is telling us is look out for more than numero uno. You need to look out for numero dos and numero tres and numero cinco. <laughs> you know, that could keep going up. But I only finished Spanish too, so I can only probably get you up to about a hundred, maybe a thousand. <laughs> That's about as far as I can go. But if you understand the idea behind this is it's saying that we do, we need to look out for more than just ourselves. And last Sunday, we talked about one of the things that will help us to be able to do that. And we talked about one of the struggles that we have. I have so seen this over the course of the series, and I've seen it in political threads. I've seen it in the Facebook posts. I've seen it over and over and over again. And what is it that I've seen? Well, here's the truth. Time is limited. Energy is limited. Money is limited. Resources are limited. So in seeing all those limits, what it can create is what I would call the scarcity mentality. And the scarcity mentality is simply this. At the end of the day, my biggest worry is there won't be enough for me. Or enough for me and my family. So sometimes we take the political stances that we take because we're trying to protect the people that we value and we're trying to protect ourselves. I read this quote on Sunday and I wanted to read it again. It was, it's what Stephen Covey says about the scarcity mentality. And he says, the scarcity mentality refers to people seeing life as one finite pie. So that if one person takes a big piece, that leaves less for everyone else. And that's our fear. Less for everyone else. You know what it really means? Less for me. None for me. And, and, and with this, the scarcity mentality then, it says, I must align myself with a group of people that have the same concerns as me. That group of people could be the Democratic Party, or it could be the Republican Party, or maybe independents. But I must align myself with someone who has the same perspectives that I do, 
But there's also this mentality that as I align myself with others to make sure that we are together protecting what we deem valuable, then the other concern is we can't let the other side win. Because if the other side wins, we are done. If the other side wins, we lose. And so our goal is to compete. I want to encourage you, this coming Sunday and next weekend, or next week, we're finishing up the series on politics and religion. And we're going to talk about that idea a little bit more as far as what is it that fuels that mentality of the scarcity mentality? What is it that fuels that? And the answer to that may surprise you. What is it that fuels our desire to hold on to what it is that we have? What is it that fuels our fear? The answer may surprise you. So make sure that you tune in for our last installment of this series that we're doing on politics and religion. But I, I think it is good for us to, to take a step back and really begin to ask ourselves, well, well how, do I, how do I break the scarcity mentality? Because here's what the scarcity mentality does, is it looks at what we have and it is, it is acutely aware of what it is that we do not have. And because of that acute awareness, it is also afraid that if I lose what I have, then there still is not going to be enough for me. So, so how do I change that mindset? How do, how do I change that perspective? And I want to encourage you, make sure that you watch the message from last week on a live stream if you haven't done so already, because I dig into this. But I wanted to, to take it in, I guess, a little bit different direction today for us just to begin to just reflect and, and think about some things. Now, there will be some points that are similar to what it is that I said last week or last Sunday, but there will also be some things that are different. But the biggest thing that we have to really work on if we're going to change the scarcity mentality is our mindset, is our mindset. Because... The focus is, as long as we look at what we do not have or protecting what we do have, then what we do is we look at our opponent and we see our opponent as, an, as a threat to that. Our opponent is a threat to the way of life. Our opponent is a threat to the minimal resources that are out there. Because of that mindset, then, our goal becomes, I must beat my opponent down so that my opponent comes to my side and they value what it is that I value so that we're all able to protect what it is that we protect. There's a problem with that thinking. And it's called groupthink, if you're familiar with that. If you, if you are familiar with the idea of groupthink, basically here's what groupthink is. It's, it's, it's a psychological term that basically says when you get a group of people together that all think the same way, then no one ever challenges the mindset of the group, the setbacks of the group. And ultimately what that can lead to is serious demise of the group itself or serious demise of other people. An example of groupthink is segregation. That's an example of groupthink. Because the whole idea behind segregation back then was we need to protect what it is that we have. 
And if anything changes, then it saw blacks as a threat to that. So there was a certain system that was set into place to make sure that blacks wouldn't have access to the things that would allow them to be as successful because if they were successful, then they may take away what it is that I have as a white person. That was kind of the thought behind segregation. It, cre it created groupthink. And here's a problem with that, is because of that mindset, I think America itself was severely limited in its success. One of the things that it limited was education. Now, the beauty of it is that there were, there were black people who were able to rise above some of the minimalization of education. Some of them were able to rise above that to become very educated themselves and, and, and to be able to move forward. I, I wonder, how many scientists did we lose? How many artists did we lose? How many mathematicians did we lose? How many inventors did we lose because we created an oppressive system because of this threat? So that's just an example of groupthink. I'm sure that if you take time and begin to look through it, you can think of other examples of it as well. But that's the danger of this. Whenever we have the scarcity mentality, and our goal in the scarcity mentality is to get everyone else to think the way that we think, because if we all think the same way, then we could be successful. We could be healthy. And that's not the key to it at all. Like the key to any success is sometimes debate and sometimes rigorous debate. Like for example, at our church, I welcome people who are contrarian. I, I welcome people who challenge the vision that God gives me for our church. I welcome people to challenge that. I welcome people that challenge our method because there are, there have been times where people have said, Hey, Ken, have you thought about this? And then when they bring up their point, wow, they were right. And it motivated me to make a change. And in making that change, it made our church better. So I can't take the risk of me limiting our church because I'm trying to get everyone in our church to think the same exact way. And that same exact way being to think the same exact way that I think. That's dangerous. That's dangerous. But with the scarcity mentality, that's our goal, is to get everyone else to do such and such or to think such and such. And so it really sets us back. So we just make the commitment to change the way that we think about the way that we want others to think. <laughs> That's why one of the things I love is when you look at the disciples, when you look at the people that, that Jesus chose to move the ministry forward. I mean, it's pretty amazing. You have all of these guys that came from significantly different backgrounds. Why? Because God knew that that would add to the beauty of the church. That's why the Bible talks so much about unity. Unity is not important if everyone thinks the same way. Huh. Let me say that again. Unity is not important if everyone thinks the same way. And if we allow ourselves to yield to the scarcity mentality of wanting to protect our own or protect what it is that we have, and we see everyone who thinks differently as a threat, then guess what? We don't grow. We don't grow. If everything that you're watching 
agrees with the same exact way that you think politically, you're not going to grow. With the same way that you think about life, you're not going to grow. That, that's just a fact. That's just a fact. You have to be willing to look at what others say. I, I'm not saying that you necessarily yield or give up your political stance. I'm, I'm not saying that. But what you might do is you might find that when you begin to sit down and have conversations with people who think a different way, what it may do is it may enhance your political stance or it may open yourself up to say, look, I want to protect this, but you know, I also want to make sure that others are protected as well. So it, it gives you the challenge to make sure that you really do watch out for both sides of the coin. It, it, it enhances yourself in that way. So with the scarcity mentality, part of it is that we do need to change the way that we think. That's why I love what Paul says in Philippians chapter 4. Whatever is pure, whatever, whatever is noble, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. I, I love that. I love that. What if we got to the point that we were able to do that with other people? What if we were to look at their argument and look for, okay, what is right? What is excellent? What is praiseworthy? Let's look at their argument. And what we might do out of that is be able to see, well, wow, there are some things I didn't think of. There are some things I didn't think of. There are some things I need to take into mind. There are some things I need to focus on. There are some ways that I need to grow. So the scarcity mindset hinders your ability to really be able to listen to others. So change the way that you think. Also, change the way that you think about your stuff. Change the way that you think about your stuff. Because what happens with the scarcity mentality is we see everything as a potential threat. When we ultimately trust God, and we see that he is the provider, that we see that we could put our hands in him, our lives in his hands, I should say. When, we, when we're able to do that, then what we do is rather than seeing our little and seeing lack, we look at our little and we see opportunity. Let, let me say that again. Rather than what we'll do is when we begin to trust in God, we will look at our little and instead of seeing lack, we will see opportunity. Opportunity for what? Opportunity for how can we continue to step up to make the lives of others better? How can we make the lives of others better? Because I did say this on Sunday and I will say this again, that one of the antidotes to the scarcity mentality is generosity. Is generosity. And you can be gen... Let me say this, the size of your paycheck does not reveal the level of your generosity. There was this one time where Jesus Christ was with his disciples and he saw this woman come in and this woman put two, basically equivalent of two pennies, two mites inside of the offering and she continued to go away and she continued to walk on. And the scriptures talked about how Jesus was blown away by her faith, so much so that he called the disciples and he pointed her out and said, that woman, 
That woman is going to be blessed by my father. That woman, that woman is the one who's being generous. And they said, well, why? He said, because everyone else here who is giving, they are giving out of their abundance. So in other words, it's not really a stretch of faith for them. That woman there, she just gave her last two coins. That's trust. That's generosity. Now, don't miss the point. I'm not saying give everything away. (laughs) That's not what I'm saying at all. But what I'm saying is we have a tendency to think that because I can't give as much as Bill Gates can give, for example, then I'm not as generous as he is. Generosity is not about your paycheck. It's about your heart. So when you are generous out of your little, I would argue that maybe you are even being more generous than Bill Gates. Bill Gates can be generous with a million dollars. But a million dollars of generosity to a billionaire is like, eh, what, whatever, whatever. And I'm not saying that's his heart. From some of the things that I have read, Bill Gates is someone who gives his money away to try to help others. But even then, if he gives away millions and millions and millions of dollars, he's still able to live comfortably. He still is. He can give half of everything away and still be three quarters of everything away and still be fine. But for you, if you were to give half of everything away or a quarter of everything that you have away, for you, that could be potentially financially devastating. And if you were to do that, that's generosity. That's risk-taking. And that's saying, God, ultimately, I trust in you. Now, please don't get it twisted. I want to make this really clear. I'm not demanding that you do that. But what I am encouraging you to do is to begin to look at how can I incorporate greater generosity into my life? And there are many ways that you can be generous. Yes, you can be generous with your money, which I do encourage you to do. But you can also be generous with your time. You can be generous with your compassion. You can be generous with your mercy. You can be generous with your ear to be willing to listen to others. You can be generous in your attention level. What do I mean by that? Because many times when we get into those debates with others, we're not paying attention. All we're doing is I'm listening for you to make your point so I can formulate my argument to prove you're wrong. (laughs) Right? I've been guilty of that. I'm sure you have too. But to be able to set that aside, to say, you know what, let me truly dig in and hear what it is that you're trying to say. Oh, man. Incredible. So I I do, I want to challenge you to move to this point of being generous. Being generous. Because with the stuff that you do have, you you do have an incredible opportunity. You have an opportunity to uplift and encourage another. And then what happens is when you look at your stuff and you see opportunity, then you're not easily threatened by what other people do. You're not easily threatened by their mindset. 
You're not easily threatened by what if the other candidate wins. You're not easily threatened by what if the, that political party wins. You're not threatened by those things because my identity is not in my stuff. My happiness is not in my stuff. My fulfillment is not in my stuff. It's not in that. It's not in that. And I know this, that even if I were to lose all my stuff, God would take care of me. Now, he may not take care of me the way that I want him to, the way that I anticipate him to, but he will. But he will. And I choose to trust in that. I choose to rely on that. So with the scarcity mentality, I really, I do, I want to challenge you in those two ways. To make it a point to change the way that you think. Change the way that you think about yourself, about others. And number two, change the way that you think about your stuff. If we could do those things, we will be able to beat the scarcity mentality. And I want to add another I just thought of. Be thankful. Be thankful. Take time today. And when you walk into your home or your apartment or even your mobile trailer, whatever it might be that when you're listening to this, but when you walk into your place of residence, just take a moment and say, you know what, God, thank you. Thank you. I know that we'd all love to live in a bigger house. I know that we'd all love to have a view, city lights, along with ocean. <laughs> I know that we'd love to have that. And sometimes we can get so caught up in what we don't have that we just don't appreciate what we do have. Just appreciate it. God, thank you. Because what I have is a gift from you. Then when you walk into the kitchen and you open your refrigerator, just be thankful for everything that's in there. Just take a moment when you sit down and make dinner. God, I'm truly thankful for this food that I have. Or sit down to eat the dinner that you just brought from in and out. <laughs> God, thank you for the funds that I have to be able to buy the food that I have. Thankful. It's amazing what gratitude will do for the scarcity mentality. Because here's what gratitude does. is gratitude puts you in a place where you realize that again, God, I may have bought this stuff with the money that I've earned from my job, but here's the truth. God, you gave me that job. God, you gave me the skills necessary to perform that job. God, you gave me the intellectual facilities to be able to work the things that I need to work on that job. So it still goes back to God being the source. And the greater your level of gratitude, you will also begin to find the greater your level of trust. And here's the truth. I'm not worried about what you can take away from me because my God will take care of me. 
and he will continue to do so. So will you put that trust into him? So again, just a quick reminder, change the way that you think about people and others, change the way that you think about your stuff and develop a heart of gratitude. That really is a key to change and to changing the scarcity mentality. So again, I hope that you'll join us next week. If you are listening to this podcast on the Encounter Community Church website, again, thank you so much for doing that. I also want to let you know that you can, if you are someone who likes to listen to podcasts, you can go to Spotify or Google Podcasts or Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or wherever it is that you get your podcast from. Search for Encounter Community Church. Look for our logo. And then you'll be able to follow us or subscribe to us there. It'd be great to have you as a regular part of this. And every time we post something new, hopefully you'll get a notification. But, but you'll see that we post something new and that you'll listen to that. But like I said, I, I want to take this moment to say thank you. Hopefully you'll join us for this coming Sunday as we wrap up this series on politics and religion. I really do hope that this has been an encouragement to you. I've worked really hard for this series to remain neutral in a sense of not endorsing a candidate, an issue, or a party. Because I really wanted to get back to the heart of what we need to do to change this. And the truth is, assigning ourselves to a different party or candidate or issue, it's not going to change this gap that's happening in America. It's not. What we really do need is a healing of our souls. What we really do need is to understand the value that we have in Christ. What we really do need to understand is that our life is created for a greater purpose. What we really do need to understand is that God has left us here on this earth to change this world. What we really do need to understand is there is a Savior who loves you passionately. And when we get those things, when we truly understand them, then I can sit down with you over a cup of coffee and talk about politics and not be threatened. I can sit down with you and talk about politics and maybe even agree to disagree, but still walk away as brothers or as brother and sister. It's possible, just possible. So as we wrap up, just wanted to remind you that encounter is about three things. Again, love up. How are you growing in your relationship with God? What is one thing that you could do this week to enhance the level of intimacy that you have with him? Love out. What are you doing to love your fellow man? What is one way this week that you could show love? to someone. And maybe it just might be this, to sit down with someone of a different political mindset than you and just listen. Listen for their worries, their concerns, their fears. And rather than advocating your political stance, maybe what you do is you come alongside and you say, wow, I can see why you'd be worried about that. Oh, wow, I can see why you'd be afraid about that. 
I see the heartbeat of your genuine concerns. Oh, do you know how beautiful that would be? How healing that would be? Do you imagine? Oh, man. And then love in. Take care of yourself. How are you growing? How are you developing? How are you becoming a better person? Set a goal for yourself. Maybe set a goal for, you know, if you're struggling with your weight, maybe set a goal for that. Maybe set a goal to turn off the TV, except for tonight for the presidential debates. <laughs> but set a goal to read a book. Set a goal. How will you be better? How will you be better? Well, again, thank you so much for being a part of the podcast. Take care. God bless you. And we'll see you once again next week. Thank you so much for joining us for the Encounter Community Church podcast. If you could do us a favor, whatever service it is that you're listening to this podcast on, please rate and review us. If there's anything that we can do better, please let us know. But by rating and review, it also make our podcast easier for others to be able to find. If you would like to support us at Encounter financially with what it is that we're doing to make a difference in our community, whether it's the mobile food bank, whether serving at North High School, or making a difference again in our community, feel free to head over to our website, encountercommunity.church. Click the link that says online giving. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel. That way when we post new live streams or new vlogs, you'll be updated. As well as please head over to Facebook and like our page. That way when we post new podcasts, again, new vlogs, new live streams, or have church events, you'll be updated and know what's going on here at Encounter. As we said before, thank you so much. We're so glad to have you with us, and we look forward to you being a part of the podcast next week.